Unfazed listeners, please be advised that some of you may find the following discussion on sexual misconduct difficult and disturbing. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, we have some phenomenal news for the survivors of R. Kelly and his accomplices. So we have a conviction on all nine counts after what feels like a century of hearing story after story after story and movie after movie. And I'm just, I'm glad Mm -hmm. that he's finally got the convictions, but this stuff started back in the early 1990s. I'm like, goodness gracious, it is 2021. Everybody, frankly, so knows that, yes, there's some shady business that had been going on for years, but now the, the legal system has finally uh, stated mm-hmm. its case here. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very happy about that for the survivors. Yeah, I'm ecstatic for them too. I mean, it's been a long time coming and, but, you know, like many men who are in power, um, people around them who kind of know what's going on or fully know what's going on, turn their back, right? They don't support the survivors. And this is why we end up with 25, 30 years later, he is finally convicted. But he is not the only person that has been pulled into the news of late related to sexual misconduct and the abuse of women. And there's been some stuff going on in the sporting world too. And I think that Mm -hmm. we should talk about it all. And I think we should get mad about it. Well, I'm already mad, but I'm just kind of going to get madder as we discuss it. Yes, Lisa. Uh, yeah, I- I'm I'm mad. I'm heated. I've been heated for decades about R. Kelly. I've been heated for decades about lots of things. Um, but, you know, now we are, I-, I would assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, we are in the middle of still a Me Too movement that is articulating what actually happened to them, um, kind of reflecting folks are in a different space in their lives where they may feel more courage or more empowered to even articulate what's happened to them. So I think we're in a different place now. That does not mean that, uh, that the abuse and power that's flexed towards women has decreased, but I think we're in a context that tolerates less than we've tolerated historically. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I think there's been some contextual changes here. Yeah. And I want to, I want to agree with you on that. I want to be optimistic about it because, you know, like, I feel like every third day I hear something about a woman who has been abused or, um, you know, a trans person that's been abused. And I just throw my hands up in the air and just feel like what the fuck is wrong with people. But you know, so R. Kelly, his conviction broke, and then the National Women's Soccer League, um, at the end of September, the Athletic published an article that in detail went into abuse, both verbal and physical and sexual abuse that had been occurring in the National Women's Soccer League. And then um, also in the UK, the trial of Sarah Everard's murderer, who was a, a acting police officer, um, 
active police officer, sorry, who falsely arrested her and then raped and murdered her. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. But that, um, so that's great. So yay, right? But then the uh, law enforcement agencies in the UK started to tell women that in order to protect themselves, they, you know, should hail down a bus or um, question the police officer if they are unsure that the police officer is legit. And, you know, rightly, (laughs) um, they have um, been ridiculed for this kind of advice because, you know, one commentator was like, well, what the heck is a bus driver going to do? You know, and that assumes that there is a bus driver available and around. And then for certain communities, particularly communities of color, Mm -hmm. questioning a police officer about their legitimacy is absolutely not a safe thing to do, right? (laughs) Not at all. Not never. If you have any melanin on your body, know that I would never think to do that ever, ever. Right. It's just not, that's just not realistic. It's not realistic for people of color at all. I know. I know. So the complete lack of understanding about how that might break down for different communities. And in the UK, law enforcement generally do not have weapons, right? So the likelihood of getting shot isn't there to the same extent it is in the US. But certainly there's physical abuse and there's arrest and there's a whole host of other things that could happen to you. So, you know, it's just I'm just frustrated that we still seem to be in this victim blaming space. And obviously with R. Kelly, yeah, he was convicted. But how the hell long did it take? Right. There was knowledge of his um, abuse of a number of women um, for the longest time, like we talked about. And it's. It's just unconscionable that we're here um, and so many women have been harmed and have been scarred. And then the abuse in the National Women's Soccer League, from what I can understand, has been going on for a long time. And this one coach um, has been perpetrating at multiple teams. So we see this happening where he perpetrates, he gets quietly let go and it gets papered over and then he Mm -hmm. appears at another organization as the coach right and this keeps happening and it sounds like this also happened in canada um with uh, the soccer league in canada where a woman wrote a um a blog about her experience having been ignored over and over again and then it took like another 15 months after that and the coach was convicted of a number of sex crimes you know so the the women coming forward in the sporting context and in other contexts are just not heard um And that's right. what really makes me mad. And that's the piece. I'm not sure how far we've moved some, but I'm just not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let me tack on to that a bit too. Just not heard. And the time period with which a, uh, a victim waits to share their experience, that seems to be this value laden process of the longer you wait to report whatever happened to you, or the longer you wait to communicate whatever happened to you, the less value we give to what actually happened, the less credence we give to it, the less credibility we give to the individual. That is inherently problematic. And once again, centering the perpetrator rather than centering the victim. Yep. Yep. It drives me bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole slate of laws that came in in the mid um, 2000s and early 2010s that tried to address that issue that, you know, the delayed reporting is not an indicator that there's um, it's a, it's not true or that mm-hmm. there's regret or that there's retaliation. But 
it right. still permeates, I think, our culture. And then when we think about coaches, right, I have heard over and over again um, that coaches who abuse their position of power and engage in a sexual relationship with um, an athlete that they're coaching, whether that athlete is a minor, um, or, you know, under 18, or whether that athlete is over 18, that, well, the, you know, in, the, in the ca- these cases, well, the women chose it, right? They wanted to be in a relationship with him, which completely covers up the fact that there is a power imbalance in place, right? And if this coach is holding something over your head, like whether it's sponsorship or access to training or whether you're going to get benched or, you know, a whole host of other things, like I don't, I think we miss the mark when we say that, you know, those relationships are consensual. I don't think they really ever can be because there's a power imbalance. Absolutely. It, it completely ignores power. And I think, you know, it constantly becomes a conversation we don't want to have because it makes folks feel uncomfortable. Right. It makes folks, again, it, it's the same way every other system of power functions. No one wants to talk about it because people are fragile about it. They don't want to talk about power because they, if we talk about power, then they have to admit they have it. And that it functions in very real ways Mm -hmm, versus mm -hmm. just, oh, I'm just existing in the world. No, you're coming in with power. And so my my colleague and I, Tara, which I just adore, Tara and I talk about power as kind of, you know, on the bike, you have this tailwind where you're thinking, okay, I'm fit, I'm moving quickly, you know, I'm hitting, you know, 19, 20, 21 miles an hour, but then you turn around and go the opposite direction and there's a headwind and you're down to 16, 15. when you have power, you have this tailwind that you don't even recognize as happening necessarily. And it's very problematic because the people who don't have it are aware of it constantly. Right. And so when these victims right. come forward and say, this is what happened, and they there's a conversation about the Me Too movement without conversation about the power that holds up structures so this can happen and happen repeatedly, like you mentioned before, we're not talking about the same thing if we're not talking about power. Right. We're, we're just not talking about the same system. You can't speak of any of the folks on, on our list of perpetrators that we brought up. You can't tell me that R. Kelly didn't have power. You, there's all these coaches. You can't say that they don't have power. They do. And therefore, how does it play out and how things happen or mm-hmm. the reporting mm-hmm. structure? Or um, once again, we talked about before about how policies and procedures are in place in workplaces, for example, what did we say? Not 98%, I believe, of workplaces have some type of sexual harassment policy, but people still feel like they cannot report. That tells us that the system is not working. Right. It's, and I'm not right. saying tear all those policies down and don't have them. What I'm saying is, how do they actually function in the organization? There's a culture that keeps people from utilizing the policies in the ways that they should. Mm-hmm. There's a culture mm-hmm. imbalance. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely a cultural piece, right? Because I'm thinking about, you know, I work with organizations, uh, sports organizations that are male dominated, law enforcement that are male dominated, you know, and I engage with women um, and non-binary folks and trans folks in those communities and those policies exist for them, right? But their women especially are accused of sleeping their way to the top and that shit still happens, right? And that is born of the culture. Like it's not possible for women to be smart and intelligent and have gotten promoted and have gotten, 
you know, strong collegial relationships with leaders in the organization because they're just fucking good at their job. Like that can't be it. Right. Because the the men in the organization are threatened um, because Mm. in some way they're constructing this reality as a, um, a slight to them and their access to power. I mean, Mm -hmm. I find Mm -hmm. that to be, you know, highly problematic and those cultures don't change. And I think those cultures exist in those organizations in the mm-hmm. sports world that, you know, whether that's your um, online um, training, tracking platform, yeah. or whether it's a bike brand or a clothing mm-hmm. brand or any of those places where there's predominantly male staff, right. you know, unless they're looking at culture and really mm-hmm. working at it, right. And calling themselves out, then yeah. policy isn't going to do shit. No, no policy isn't going to do anything. And I think it's, you know, it's a challenge because I think it's a challenge for it's challenge, obviously, for uh, those who are the victims. And it's a challenge for men who want to do the right thing and are keenly aware of it. But again, there's this bystander culture that is extremely passive, because when I see a lot of the perpetrators that especially R. Kelly, since we started with him, but we could go down the list there was an entire system that not only allowed them to do this once, but multiple times, repeatedly, countless times, and therefore there are accomplices. And so that's why I really, you know, think it's important to look at the entire system and how everyone is complicit, whether you, whether it's the person that actually perpetrated the crime or the people that turned a blind eye, I'm thinking specifically of Penn state, which was a hot mess. I think I read all 200 pages Uh recounting uh all of those issues. You know, when all of that happened, there were a system of people that turned their heads and said, it's not a big deal. Give the guy a chance. Just, you know, have a, give them a talking to, just give them a quick slap on the hand and let's move forward. And those folks did not have a bystander that was willing to interrupt behavior. And so this goes back to my point before around, I feel strongly, and Lisa, you chime in on this, I refuse to believe that there is any such thing as a passive ally. If uh-huh, you stood uh-huh. there and did nothing, you are not an ally. You are an accomplice, period. Yeah. Uh, Kelly had tons yeah. of them. We, we could go down the list. And so we just need to be very clear on the perpetrator is extremely problematic, but the entire system that allowed them to function is also problematic. And who mm-hmm. played a part in that mm-hmm. system? Yeah, I mean, and Larry Nasser is another great example, right? With the U.S. Gymnastics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about him uh, several times on this podcast. But, you know, what's interesting is the National Women's Soccer League Commissioner, Lisa Baird, I think she's been in the role for about a year and a half, two years. She's actually resigned. And I need to look more into this, but I, you know, I don't know what she did or didn't do um, in response to allegations of abuse coming forward. Um, but it is funny that there's a woman at the top and shocker, she takes the fall right. for the for the men's behavior Mm -hmm. and for their decision making and their um, abuse of power. And then it's the woman that leaves. The other thing I really hate and I just want to say is when we talk about sexual misconduct, sexual violence, sexual abuse as a quote unquote scandal, right? No, it's (laughs) right, right. It's not a a sex scandal, right? It's an individual, largely a man, taking advantage of, sexually abusing, verbally abusing, physically abusing someone who has less power than them. Like, that's what it is. That is not a scandal, right? That's it. That's it. It's it's not a scandal. I mean, it feels like, 
okay, are we trying to boil down someone's lived experience into a soap opera? Because no, nah, that's not what I'm, that, that's not what I'm envisioning. And I think it belittles the victims yet again. It minimizes their experience. It minimizes the impact that it, it may have on them for the duration of their entire lives. This is highly problematic, highly problematic. So, you know, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, scandals usually mean that someone is disgraced and it's rarely ever the perpetrator that's disgraced. Right. In fact, sometimes it's the machismo of, oh, well, he just couldn't resist a beautiful woman or what, whatever lame ass yeah. excuse we yeah. give. And so it's never disgracing the individual or, or calling into question the morality of the individual that did it. Right. Or they bounce back, right? They, they have an initial kind of ding and then they bounce back. But I think this is making me think of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. You know, um, yeah. my yeah. whole perspective yeah. of that situation has shifted significantly over the last 25 years or so. Um, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, she got cr- like, att- like, <laughs> I mean, if, it, if, I, if there was t- Twitter <laughs> during when she oh, was going yeah. through that, I mean, absolutely ripped apart. Right. And there wasn't right. Twitter. There wasn't right. Facebook. And she was absolutely ripped apart. Death threats like she was slut shamed. I mean, it was unbelievable. And yeah, sure. Bill Clinton faced impeachment, but shocker um, votes down political lines and he kept his job and um, he has been just fine. Right. But Monica Lewinsky More is than completely fine. traumatized. Um, since that experience. And I'm sorry, it's the president of the fucking United States and you're an intern. Like, Mm -hmm. um, okay, he makes a pass at me. Who, like, yeah, lots of thoughts Mm -hmm. on that. That's a bit of a digression, but kind of thinking about that, um, the piece that you were saying, right, around um, reputation and um, disgraced and who gets harmed most from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, even to that point, so let's go back to, let's go back to Clinton in particular. What I think is interesting is that, yes, the president of the United States of America was impeached. And what we all know, if anyone took their 11th grade, 12th grade civics course here in the United States, what you will know is that just because you are impeached, that does not mean that you are going to be held accountable or removed. Don't we have some very parallel things that happen in workplaces Mm -hmm. where if they're questioned, that does not mean they're going to be removed or even removed from the situation. Yeah. I've seen complaints or, or uh, filings that went through in workplaces where the individual wasn't even reassigned to have a different supervisor. They still had to go to work every day and face their perpetrator. So I feel like what you brought up is really profound because it's parallel to what happens in workplaces. And so now let's, let's trickle that down. So you had the president of the United States that was impeached, not removed. You have people in workplaces who 98% of them have policies, but they aren't really enforced. So most women don't want to report. What did we see? What 71% of women in the workplace don't want to report. Let that trickle on down to endurance sport. Yeah, we do have safe sport and we do have Mm -hmm. a few things um, where you can report misconduct in the United States if you've experienced um, sexual harassment or, you know, maybe you witnessed it of someone else. But again, the, just because you have a tight policy or procedure doesn't mean the culture has shifted to make people feel confident right. in reporting right. that. And so therefore, if they don't feel confident reporting, then nothing's ever going to happen. It's just, it's mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. like, and I'm not diminishing our siblings in the LGBT community. 
it feels almost like a don't ask, don't tell type of thing. Like, uh, like let's keep this undercover. Yes, we know it happens. We're not going to mention it because even if we mention it, the person who mentions it is going to be the one that experiences the brunt of the weight rather than the person that perpetrated it. So mm-hmm. let's just not go through this process. I'm opting out. Right. Me too, but I'm opting out. Yeah, yeah. That's a that was a bullshit policy, though. Don't ask, don't tell. Oh, um, it definitely. I mean, was. just like yeah, steeped in shame, right? Really shaming. But the same thing is go. is true. You're right. That's a really great way to think about it. Is that it's too hard. It's too difficult. No one's going to believe me. So I'm just opting out. Right. And if I don't say anything, my life will be easier and I'll just quote unquote, put up with it. Um, and this shit does happen in sport. I mean, gosh, there's so many public public examples that have really blown up like gymnastics, like soccer, um, like swimming, but it's happening in ways that we're not hearing about too. Right. Which goes back to your point, Shauna, about, um, if you don't say anything, you don't point out kind of like repetitive harmful behavior then you're complicit in allowing that kind of thing to happen and i think about this on a continuum right like sexual misconduct sexual abuse happens on a continuum so you have Mm -hmm. kind of the low end quote unquote low end um Mm -hmm. you know comments right right maybe like uncomfortable comments and then on the other end you have um you know uh non-consensual sexual violence um But they're all part of the same continuum. So if you constantly, as a bystander, let that quote unquote, I say lower end because it still can be really harmful. So I I don't want to put like a ranking on it necessarily, but to kind of paint that picture, if you let those comments slide and you don't ever say anything, then you're giving permission in that particular culture for that person to escalate their behavior. Right. That's it. That's it. Exactly. And it's, It goes back to, I know this sounds really common sense, so I'm not trying to belittle all the scholarship when it comes to this work. It really is a teach people how you, how to treat you moment, as my grandmother used to say, is that if you give them an inch, they take a mile. So when someone doesn't feel comfortable because of the power dynamic to interrupt someone else's behavior, and they also don't feel comfortable enough to report it, and they need their job or they need their position on the team, or let's say they're on a full scholarship. And so, yes, I'm on the women's gymnastics team at University of Alabama, and I don't want to lose my, um, my starter role because I'm on a full ride. Who has the power here? We know who has the power here. We know who has the power. And so they have less of an incentive to teach people how to treat them because the power dynamic is already off kilter already. So it's, it, it it will just never, it, it won't seem to work in their favor. And if it does, it could take, as we saw with R Kelly years for justice to come years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I thinking about, you know, the folks who are listening to this podcast and colleagues and friends that you might have in the endurance sports industry, it's important that folks of all gender identities are stepping up, right? We know that women and trans people and non-binary people and lesbian, gay and bisexual people are the folks who experience the harshest um, forms of sexual misconduct and uh, physical misconduct. And so, the individuals you know who are listening who have who have privilege whether that's gender privilege or um positional privilege or sexual orientation privilege it's incumbent upon you to say something and you don't you don't have to necessarily like you know roll in like you know a truck you know there's different ways to do it and i think we've talked about that on our podcast too but Mm -hmm. you know 
R. Kelly's behavior, um, ex-governor of New York Cuomo's behavior, Harvey Weinstein's behavior, these coaches in the soccer league and in gymnastics and in swimming, their behavior Mm -hmm. escalated and escalated and escalated because no one held them accountable. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So our culture is too permissive. And so it's, Mm -hmm. we have to do something about that. We have to say it's not okay. And exactly. No, right. Yep. 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 Because going back to your point, all those individuals will do will continue to shift their context. If you slap them on their hand, then they will shift their context. It's kind of like that, you know, that perpetrator, that pedophile that works at one elementary school and they get into a little bit of trouble, they sweep it under the rug and they just go to another elementary school. Are you kidding? And and that's all they do. And they continue to be in that context. So, right, right. you know, I, I think with this work, I think, I guess some takeaways could be for us and, and some of our listeners is to definitely think about that scale or that continuum. Um, definitely think about that. But then also too, the what ifs. So what if you observe some behavior like that? Let's not even put you in the mix of it. If you observe that type of behavior, have you practiced or even thought about what you might say or do to interrupt that behavior in the moment? Now, yes, reporting is important and all of us can look at our policies, whether they're safe sport or you know in our workplace, but what would we do and start to practice that behavior because we need to be ready when it comes. We can't just be in the shock and awe place where, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. And then we do nothing because once again, being an ally is not passive. <laughs> there is no right. such thing. It's an oxymoron. Right. You cannot be a passive ally. If you are not doing or saying something, then you are just a not, you're not an yeah. ally, period. You're just yeah. not an ally. So, you know, practicing what would we do in that moment is really key. And what's frustrating to me about the Penn State issue, R. Kelly, et cetera, is that you're right. These situations continue to happen and escalate. And folks had an opportunity to say something. They even had multiple opportunities to say and do something and nothing was done. Given right. that, right. We, 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 need to, we need to be ready and be clear on what we will and will not tolerate in our presence, whether it's happening to mm-hmm. us personally mm-hmm. or whether it's happening to someone around us. I don't even, I'm not saying I don't care, but it shouldn't matter. Even if I did not know Lisa personally, if someone's doing something to her, then I feel obligated as an ally to interrupt that behavior, proximity or not. Right. And right. so kind of thinking through what will we do in those moments? Yeah. And I think the interrupting of the behavior is really important and not necessarily going to the police or going to report without the permission of the person who's being victimized. Right. Because as we talked about at the top of the show, it's power, right? So all sexual misconduct on physical violence is about having power over someone. And so individuals in positions of power, whether that's commissioners or federation chairs or coaches, um, you know, or other public um, figures who, you know, are famous for their athletic achievements. There's, it's complicated. And so not every victim is going to want to come forward. And I think that by making that decision for them, you essentially remove their power even more, right? So working with them and being an ally and the interrupting of the behavior and then talking to the person Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, that wasn't okay. What do you need me to do? How can I support you? And helping Mm -hmm. them understand that that is behavior that they do not have to put up with. Like that is just not something that should be part of their day. 
Um, you know, and the more people around that individual who's being victimized, who support them and believe them and value you, then they're going to mm-hmm. be more likely to come forward. And coming right. forward can mean a whole different number of things, right? And the system right. fails survivors so much. It's not surprising to me that no one wants to come forward and say that they've been victimized, right? Because look what happens. That's right. They're not believed or the person is just like, you know, given a slap Mm -hmm. on the wrist and moved to another team. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. So, yeah. So from this, I mean, it was a lot that really kind of spurred my thinking when R. Kelly happened and, you know, just so much that it really brought back for me. And so for those of you, again, we tried to give uh, somewhat of a trigger warning at the beginning, but for those of you that have, possibly experience something like this, or you have a friend or a close family member, whoever, who may have experienced this, we do stand in support of you. Um, I would say that this is Lisa's wheelhouse, but we both are supportive of you and your, uh, your close, your loved ones. And so with this, we strongly encourage you to kind of practice, you know, build that muscle to think about what would you do if, if that coach was harassing whoever, what would you do? How would you interrupt it? How would you report it? Who would you report it to? Think about how you would be an ally in that case, because this conversation is actually a extremely serious one where usually we, yeah, we curse a lot and we laugh a lot, but this one is not a laughing matter at all. Um, And so for those of us that are under the sound of our voice, um, please read the show notes, pay attention to all of the resources that we provide in the case that you might need additional resources, but don't put up with that shit. Don't put up with it for a millisecond, right, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, don't put up with that shit. So what we'll end with is that there are resources available. We've mentioned the US Center for Safe Sport, which is actually a new organization. It's less than 10 years old. And, you know, it's really trying hard to create um, systems and policies and practices and accountability standards for folks who are um, perpetrating sexual misconduct, hazing, uh, physical abuse, that sort of thing. So you can visit there website, which is um, safesport.org. And then there's also RAIN, which is the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is free and confidential. And their number is 800-656-HOPE. So that's 800-656-HOPE. And we do encourage folks to reach out. And RAIN also has an online chat system if you don't want to call. But there are resources and um, we we have to put an end to this, right? It can't keep happening the way it has. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to outspokensummit.com. We hope to see you there. The Unfazed Podcast and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient 
option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.